Hey everybody, welcome to Camel City Chat. I am your host, John McPherson, and I am very fortunate to be here with a friend of mine, Gene Hoots. Gene is uh, uh, probably well known around the area, um, but, but we're going we're gonna to talk more about that. But I, I think we've known each other since we're thinking now 1978. Right. And, uh, years. Yeah, so we'll have to talk about that when we get there. But of course, I have to ask you the, the first question, and um, and and that is, where are you from, and how long have you been here? I know Winston Salem is now not your official home, and you go back and forth some, for some different places because mm -hmm. you retired. But but tell us about uh, uh, how long you've been in Winston Salem and how you got here. I was born here in Baptist Hospital in 1939. And lived most of my life in the area until 25 years ago when I moved to Charlotte because I had two baby granddaughters down there and decided to be near them. But most of my life has been spent right here within 15 miles of where we're sitting now. Right. And so we're here actually at Renolda Gardens um, and Renolda Village and actually we're at the exact opposite end of where we sat when I interviewed Bo Gray, mm -hmm. the fourth. Um, I will add a little bit to that so, um, because I know you because I've been to your house. So you lived in the Clemens area off of um, Hampton Road, but but literally your your family's farm is kind of now. If you're at the Food Lion on uh, 158, that area there. If you go across and go behind those apartments, that was really your yeah. family farm, wasn't it? Yeah, we and my grandfather owned four different farms in Davie County, and right. they were all in the Advanced Farmington area. And right. You're referring to one of those there. Okay. In that yeah. area. Yeah. And so um, you know uh, that's how um, I knew you from there, and then of course. Uh, We'll get into some other stuff. So we've got that. So you've lived here all your life, but then, of course, you're in Charlotte. Now, you're wearing something from Montana, so we're going to have to talk all about right. that at some point. Um, so the second question is, and I'm assuming that you're going to probably say rolling out of your backyard over there and into um, Staley's, but what is, you know, it's not there anymore. So what's your favorite place to eat well, in Winston? My favorite oh, place I know. It yeah. goes back to 1977. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got to be Ryan's over on Coliseum. Mr. Dennis. Dennis Carter and Jeff have run yeah. that place for all these years and both my children work there you know yep. you're, they were your contemporaries right my daughter Holly started there as a hostess when she was 15 yeah no I remember you know I remember seeing Holly working there and of course Charles worked there but yeah, yeah Dennis is uh, very good friends with my broker in charge John Mooney and um, you know they fly fish together yeah. and but what a, a classic restaurant. In fact, I was talking to my brother Ted the other night, and we, we, we usually give him a gift card for Ryan's for Christmas, mm -hmm. and he was, he's like, I used it, just wanted to let you know. But a great meal, great steak, yep. and uh, a good place to eat. Yeah, it's been, been a favorite of mine ever since they opened. So when you're in Winston, obviously either COVID time or, 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 or pre-COVID time, what are some things that you really like to do that, that maybe hidden, hidden gems that you well, learned over your years here? I don't know that there's anything hidden, but mm -hmm. my favorite thing really is to come right here to Renolda Village. You know, mm -hmm. I lived up the street. You mentioned right. I lived right beside what was Staley's at that time, yeah. Fratelli's now, and, and my office was here in Renolda Village when we started our company. So this is one of my favorite places. And when I come back, I like to pe bring people to see Old Salem, to see Renolda Village, Renolda House, Grayland. Right. All those things are things that I enjoy still, and lots of folks that aren't familiar with the town love to come and see them with me. Well, I always remember that you, um, when you'd come back to town, um, because did you ever move to Atlanta for the company, or, or you always went to Charlotte? So you went to no, Atlanta for a while. I got out of the apartment in Buckhead for right. about two or three years. Right. Never a full yeah, we'll time. We'll get there. to what that's about. But <laughs> no, I mean, when you would come come back into town, or when the guys would come into town uh, on your team, um, I, I always remembered that they would stay at uh, downtown. At the, didn't you didn't you love to stay at the Salem? Oh, at the Brookstown, not with no, the no, Brookstown Inn, but the there was, Inn. yeah, it was the Zevely Inn. The Zevely Inn. Right across from the uh, tavern. Yeah, you always yeah. tell me that's yeah, just a, a great there. place to stay. Like to stay and there. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to get by there sometime. Yeah. And, Don't and do that a lot anymore, yeah, but yeah. I guess it's still there. But. Yeah, it is. It is. Now the Salem Tavern's closed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the tea place that was behind, um, uh, underneath the gift shop has now been moved, uh, went, moved over to the Schaffner House. And they okay. just recently closed, and they're relocating. So everyone's trying yeah. to figure out where they're going to be changes. going. Yeah. So, but um, all right. So let's 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 go back in time here then and all talk right. about some stuff. So, uh, I guess my first question to you is, uh, what's it like to coach a, a no talented individual that you had to play a certain amount of uh, periods in a basketball game of Clemens Cougars? Who are you referring to? Here, I know exactly <laughs> who I'm referring to. The only thing I can do is rebound. So. Well, I'm. Um, I wasn't much of a coach. You, you were fine. Truth, but, uh, that, was, my, my favorite that was our first experience together, I yeah. guess. Yeah. John was on the team. I jumped up one time and 
my, my mom always laughs about this, and she looks at me and goes, get on the bench now. I don't want another technical or something for that. <laughs> it's just like that. But So you have, uh, you know, let's talk about your family. You have a, a, a lovely daughter, uh, married with a couple of kids. Yes. Um, yeah. And they're down in the Charlotte area. Well, my daughter and son-in-law are in the Charlotte yeah, area. Right. I don't know how much longer they're going to be there. Because the kids are in college and moved. Actually, they have out of college a couple of years, and they went west and right. followed some of my adventures in the West. Okay. One of them lives in Tucson and the other one lives in Portland in Oregon. Okay. All right, cool. Holly was uh, just a, a, you know, an awesome person. I, I can pick up the phone right now and pick right off, for, pick right sure. up where I, I last talked to her probably. Um, just a great lady. Um, and then, and then there's Charles. No, and then Charles who, um, you guys have to realize this. I'm friends with Charles. I remember we had a, a Spanish exchange student that came to McGinnis when we were in school, and Charles decided he was going to learn Spanish that summer so he could talk to her. If you remember that, he, learned, no, he just taught himself Spanish. And then uh, Charles went overseas and, you know, just did crazy things. And you, you miss Charles, and he lives in... And he's married. He lives in um, Paris. I went and visited him in 1999 yeah. and saw him in his apartment and saw Khadija, who um, they're not together, but you still remain oh, close Oh, very close to Khadija. Yeah. I, I see her a lot. I, as I tell people, I said, I was, I was at the... Marketing director of the Yemenese embassy's home, and I was there as their guest because of my friend, and I still don't know who was at the table, and it's probably best that I yeah. don't. Um, uh, but you know, just they, entertaining with my friends. I will mention, John. Sadly enough, those two guys were two of the three most prominent. So you know who I was with? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I cool. Know, then, love all right. them both. I yeah, see, I, I don't, don't know who they I were. I want to yeah. give you their names. Yeah, okay. They don't make any difference. Yeah, but, but and they're they're Arabic. But they were two two of the top three people in the Yemeni government at that right. time. And sadly, in the intervening years, in separate auto accidents, they were both killed in car wrecks back oh, in Yemen. Oh man! So we lost them both within a wow. few years. Broke and, my heart because they were great guys. Yeah, you know, and 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 just nice men. We were sitting there talking and and just learning about uh, everybody's culture. And you know, they had this apartment and honestly what their their patios about this this brick thing here you yeah. could maybe not even the bottom one the top one and you just lean out and you could look one way and see the Eiffel Tower and the other way and see the Statue of Liberty yeah I did say Statue of Liberty um, and um, so we uh, great to see him obviously things didn't work out with them and, and I'll touch on her long enough to say that yeah. what a wonderful powerful uh, well, empowering lady who has taught us so much about her culture and um, fighting norms of her culture because she had a very, very rough upbringing with mm -hmm. her. Um, you know, they wanted to marry her off very young. and she 10 or 11. Yeah, and, and she actually did a documentary on another yes. young lady and talking about that. Yeah. And so uh, you know, interesting stuff with her. Right. Probably we'll put a link in, in maybe to her documentary so people can learn more about her and what she's doing because, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 sec, the, um, you know, the sex slave industry here and where they're abducting people and all that stuff. She, she is um, very involved in fighting for, for, for women and, and, yeah. and, and their rights True. internationally. Yeah. All right. So then Charles gets another wild hair um, and he decides he wants to be a vet. That's right. But, of course, he can't go to any school. He has to go to Cornell. Well, I didn't think um, he was going to get in anywhere, actually. He, <laughs> he had to come back to do two years of undergraduate work at East Carolina to get the prerequisites to get into vet school. And finally, he was accepted at Cornell, where he met his second wife. Who is a, a phenomenal, lovely lady. Lovely lady. And uh, she's a veterinarian, too. Make a I, great pair. They yeah. live in the Sarasota area. Yes. I, uh, you know, we had a, a timeshare down there, and so I'm like, Charles, you, you want to get together? And met him for breakfast, and, of course, Charles has a small side to him, which can be irritating if, you, if you're not in on his jokes, i.e., yeah. he likes to pick on people. Um, and, you know, so he always is picking on me. I, I can tell you some of the stupid things he's done to me over the years. But So it's great to catch up with him. I, I got to spend almost two or three hours with him and uh, just a, a wonderful kid. You, you have to look on what you and, and Judy created with two children. and how, You've got to be proud. Well, we are. I'm proud, and I know their, their mother would be. Uh, it's funny. She didn't live to see him go to Cornell. We joked about it. She always said he was Ivy League material. Right. But, it, but he had to wait till he was 35 to get in or thereabouts. So it, uh, I finally made it to Cornell for a, a fraternity reunion. Oh, did you? Yeah, that, that, that was it. I was there long enough to say, yeah. hey, that's where our, our national strength is. Yeah. Other than that, that's about all the teaching I could get from there. And he still does international work. Yeah. He's, uh, he's out on his own doing international consulting and uh, the work that he does 
takes him to different countries. He's been to Ethiopia, to, um, to Egypt, I guess Ethiopia. He's certainly been to, uh, uh, gosh, Georgia, not the other Georgia in, right. in the East, West African countries, and Egypt. And he's always done that. I mean, yeah. you know, there are stories we could, we could tell. Um, the, the thing, though, that... Uh, you know, afforded all of this was um, you. You had a great job at R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company. Well, and so how did you get point. to Reynolds? Well, that was kind of by chance. I had I'd go to school at NC State right. and, and got a mechanical engineering degree. Decided that I really wasn't cut out to be an engineer. Right. And so I went to uh, UNC. In those days, you could go right to grad school, right. an MBA program. It's very hard to do now. Right. They don't let you come in just right out of undergrad, but I did. Finished, and I went to work for DuPont for a couple of years. Right. Judy was up from up there, and we lived there a while, but my roots were deep right here in North Carolina, and right. I really yeah. wanted to come back. And what happened was I had never had any thought of working for R.J. Reynolds, but to get back here, that was a logical choice. Right. And I discovered that there were a couple of guys who were ex-Duponters right. who had come to work for Reynolds. And okay. when I was down here, I had lunch with them one day, and shortly thereafter, they called and said they had an opening that if I was interested in working in the Archer Division, which okay. was packaging and aluminum. Correct. Yep. Uh, they'd consider me. So uh, I got hired for that job, and that's how I got back to Reynolds. And I was there 21 years after right. that. And so... Um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, uh, I want to show uh, um, a, a little bit about you. We'll, we'll put up the website for the book. Okay. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the Reynolds topic. All right. All right. Fine. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with uh, Gene Hoots, is who uh, um, I met uh, his son probably in grade school at probably... And we were talking about that, I guess, at Clemens Elementary because yeah. we were both born the same year. Charles is what? He's uh, April he's, or May? He, he, his birthday, yeah. March, March the 6th. Okay, so that's so it. So I'm, I'm, I, I just had mine March 1st, so his yeah. birthday's this his week. So this week. Yeah, so we're both 53. And, and, um, but, you know, uh, that's how I met you was through either Clemens Cougars or, or through, you know, sleepovers and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I mean, you know. Uh, and then our parent, you guys became, my, our parents became friends, is, which is, sure. I never knew that until I had a kid. That's what you really do is you become friends with That's your exactly kids' friends. Right. Yeah. yeah, parents. Um, so you're at, you're at RJR, and, and I always heard that you had an interesting job there, so maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But did you have something to do with either taxes or profit sharing at Reynolds? How, yeah, did, how did we get to I there? Did. Yeah, well, I worked there in Archer for five years, right. and then I switched over to the parent company. And I worked in mergers and acquisitions. But okay. all the work that I did was finances of one kind or another. It was moving numbers around. That's, that was my whole career. I never was in operations and never was in sales. But after 10 years there, I worked for 14 months in New York. Right. We, we were making an acquisition of this big oil company in Texas. And I got assigned to New York to work on that. Right. And I did. And a lesson here, that was one of the biggest disappointments of my life. When the acquisition was completed, I had hoped that they would give me a job in Texas and I could go there and be in the oil business. Right. And it turned out they were overstaffed. You were overstaffed. too good at it. No, I was yeah. overstaffed. Okay. They were overstaffed at the operation down there with the merger. So things didn't work out and I had to come back to Winston-Salem. Right. Well, as it turned out, that was 86. And, and by 19, I'm sorry, that was 76. By 1980. The oil business had collapsed. Right. If I had taken that job, I'd have been walking the street in Houston with right. no job and no real credentials to be in the oil business. So, right. meantime, I came back to Reynolds, and the treasurer offered me the job running the pension fund at okay. RJR, which was a very small fund at the time, and I expected that job to last a year. I was interested in investments, but I figured it would last a year and I'd move on to something else. The company would transfer me elsewhere. Well, it turned out that th there couldn't have been a better job and a better industry in America because this was the time when pension funds were growing in size, a lot of mergers leading pension funds to be put together, and it was just a big time in the investment industry. And I, lurk, I lucked out by being in probably one of the greatest growth industries of the latter part of the 20th century, just by chance. So I want to make sure everyone hears that. You managed R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company's pension yeah, fund. Yeah, that was my job. When you left, it had a little more value than when you started. Well, correct? but not because of my but, efforts. Yeah, but still, your well, man, well, I'll you know. mention that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a 
not a very big job. Reynolds only had $200 million in their pension fund, which is peanuts right. in the world of pensions. I mean, I'll take a little bit yeah, of it. Of course. Yeah, right. but, but now... Well, what yeah. happened was the, uh, the law, ERISA, was passed, and companies could no longer leave their funds underfunded. So Reynolds started putting in about $100 million a year into the fund mm -hmm. to get it up to speed. Right. And, and they were making acquisitions and putting all those together. Then the company started a 401k plan. Right. And when you put it all together, when I left, it was $4 billion. It was, it was And you were the manager of that I fund. was the manager of the, the, the $4 billion. <laughs> that, but that, again, that placed me just at the, about the level of number 100 in America. Right. We were only the 100th biggest believe it or not. <laughs> so after that, you know, you kind of learned something at Reynolds. Your next, your next uh, gig, I guess, would be yeah. that you decided, hey, I'm going to start a mutual fund. Well, that didn't, <laughs> that didn't happen quite that simply, and there was a lot of bumps in the road in between. One of those major bumps was Ross Johnson, of course. Right. Correct. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But we can, yeah, we, well, we'll get to that when we get to the book. Okay. Yeah, right. Well, that's how, but we, yeah. we started in I left the company about the time Ross took over, and okay. the, the fellow Tom Quinn, who became my partner, had worked with me at Reynolds, and right. he had moved to Atlanta with the company when they moved down there, and right. when it all came apart, we started our own company, and it was called Cornerstone at first, and right. then Corner Cap Investments. So Cornerstone Capital, located here, right here. Um, you had an yeah. office here, you had right, an office right, in Atlanta? Right, right behind the, Renault, right behind the uh, Village uh, Tavern. Okay. Which were right first, behind the village tavern. That was the first office. Okay, and so it was you and, and how many people here? And uh, We ended up, the most we ever had was three of us. Right. Yeah, three, but the office in Atlanta, it being a bigger city, right. it grew a lot bigger. They had, they ended with something like three of us in Charlotte, and there were 20 people in, right. in Atlanta. That was so, the headquarters. So, and you just retired when? Officially? January the 1st. So January the 1st, so you've left your baby. Um, Tom is still he's one of still, the owners with a couple other people. Yeah. He's the majority owner. Mm -hmm. um, so the two of you that became three of you started in Renolda is now how many people? Oh, there are about 22 people. In 22. All. 20 to 22. Right, so. yeah. Um, and so tell me a little bit about uh, Corner Cap because... Well, we started, I, uh, we started the business, and we were very lucky. Most people... Most people start with some seed money. There's right. a fund, somebody wants to hire them. We did not have that. We didn't get to take any of the R.J. Reynolds money with us, so Correct. we had to start from scratch. We had this tiny little fund that uh, your family had invested their profit-sharing money in. Right. I think the whole thing was maybe $5 million. Right. And we had to start growing it from that, right. and we have grown it. It was slow but steady progress, and we grew it to where... Yeah, we've had about a billion two in it now after 30 years. It's right. still modest, but uh, a reasonably sized right. operation and a good company. Yeah. And we had an opportunity, though. The same thing that caused us to create the company in the first place also provided us a leg up, which I didn't appreciate until recently. But right. what happened was Reynolds was bought out and, and when, in 88 and 89. Right. And when that buyout came, there were a lot of people in Winston-Salem who owned a lot of stock, as we know, and they ended up any number of millionaires here in the city. Right. Plus, a lot of the executives got golden parachutes or aged out and retired. Right. And those people knew of our investment background, and right. so we had a leg up in getting some of that money for our company. A lot of those people came to us. It was fortunate in that we had a, a, a name and that, were, that was recognizable here in the city. And well, you know, when you're managing $4 billion, you, you probably can manage my $10. Well, that's, the, that's yeah. what people yeah. thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I think we proved it. That well, we probably I, could, but that helped. I, I would say that um, my experiences with you guys are um, you're definitely uh, more of a, uh, a buy and hold, but you guys move stuff around. But when I say that, the mentality is, is you know, you're really not aggressive until it's needed. Yeah. And I've always appreciated that. You know, I may have a friend of mine that, that has invested in the market and they made, you know, a great amount and I may not have made that. But when they're down, I'm usually not mm -hmm. down as far and or I'm even up. Yeah. So I think your guys' uh, matrix or whatever your formula is has been one of a very um, conservative yet growth mentality. Yeah, we want to be slow and steady. Right. I, read, I heard a comment just this week. Somebody said, 
there's nothing that makes somebody angrier than watching their next door neighbor get rich in the market and they right. aren't making any money. Correct. And yeah. It happens from time to time. And 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 so with with life and you know I mean your dad, uh, and not to bring up a sad thing, but your dad how old was how long ago did he pass away? Dad died 15 years ago. Yeah. At, at his farm. At his home. Right. At, at his home. farm. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean so you grew you grew up on a farm you you know livestock yeah. your son the one thing we didn't say about charles is your son is a is, is very skilled in large animals mm -hmm. um so but what's up with a skinny cow so we got to talk oh. about this so you you i want to i want to hear more about the well, skinny cow the book yeah this this was a book that i wrote six or seven years ago and it's really a collection of essays it's mm -hmm. not so much something i wrote some of it i wrote some of it i collected from other people but it reflects on a lot of things it, okay. about the philosophy of living, the philosophy of investing. I talk a little bit about the health care and the retirement system in America in the book, just things that I thought were topical. Health care, I dwelled on at length because Judy, you know, my wife had right. gone through a five-year illness with cancer, which finally she was not able to overcome. Right. And dealing with the health care system was something I felt needed to be written about a little bit. Just We're learning more about that yeah, now. You know, are. Catherine has really stepped in with my dad, yeah. and um, it seems that you got to scream to get attention. Yes, you do. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, yeah. but that's just the way yeah, it is. Right, you but I mean, it's, watch. yeah. And I, I've gotten lucky, uh, you know, he's applied a couple times through some other people. I've got a client now that is saying the last thing she does for, before she moves out of town is going to get him VA approved on, on his hearing aids. I mean, he yeah. was a gunner in World War II. Sure. Where do you think he lost his yeah. hearing? So, but I mean, you, you are correct. I mean, yeah. healthcare needs so everything we can. That was the book. The name came as a bit of a surprise. I didn't come up with a name for the book. Right. I have a friend in Charlotte, and she had a friend who was in the advertising business. Right. And I had the manuscript ready to go to print, and I didn't have a name for the book. And he said, let me look at the book. So he took it home one night, and I couldn't believe this. He called me the next morning, and he said, I've got three choices for you, right. three names. And when I saw that one, the name was Pay Attention to the Thin Cow. Why do we pay attention to the well, Thin Cow? Well, it was just perfect for the, for the theme of the book because right. it had to do with investing. But it was from something I had related in the book about my uncle Kenneth, who was a farmer. Kenneth Hoots is known still over in Davie County as a great farmer over there, and he raised cattle. And he always said, when I go to the sale, I buy the thin cows. I don't right. want fat cows because you can't do anything to improve them. Right. You need to buy the ones that look sickly and nobody else thinks they can do anything with them. Because you're going to get a you deal on them. You always got You put the deal. money in to get them healthy yeah. and, and then, then they you sell them. And you and sell them, right. Did. So that was, and that captured the whole book. And right. the guy, the guy who was in advertising said, that's the name for your book. And he actually drew the cover of the book. Right. He was an artist as well. He, so he gave me the title and he sketched out the uh, uh, the cover for the book, the picture of the farmer with his hugging, hugging his cow on the cover of the book. Perfect, perfect. So that was a, that was the story on that book. Well, we'll, uh, um, we'll show a picture of that book and, or I guess, a link on Amazon. Can people get on Amazon? Uh, it, they can't get that on Amazon, but if they go to Corner Cap's website. All right, we'll send them to Corner Cap's website. Corner Cap's website, there are no, there are no hard copies available, right. but they can download a copy of it free if, they, if they'll sign up with Corner Cap and give them their email address. Okay, perfect. We'll do that then. So, so we'll take a quick available. break. And then when we come back, it's time to talk about Reynolds. Okay. All right, sure. we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, we're switching seats because I had the comfy seat and I'm giving it to my guests now. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the Thanks, rocky John. one. Yeah, I got more. I got more. Uh, you got more padding. I got more I've padding. Got. I yeah, that. yeah. This, this. Yeah, I'm. I'm not real proud of this. Um, uh, it's really weird, Gene. You know, um, right before the pandemic, I was, um, I was at really good weight, but uh, just work and everything is crazy. And uh, yeah, I understand. Um, so I want to ask you this, and uh, I guess uh, it, it's a simple question. We'll take probably the rest of the show because of the fact that it's, uh, you know, but. You, you worked at Reynolds, and then a few years ago you decide, you know, I've, I've read what's out there. Um, I want to put my two cents in. Yeah. So you write a book, um, Tobacco Road. The full title is? Yeah. Going Down Tobacco Road. Right. Yeah, and um, it's, a, it's a great story about, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people. I mean, you go on your website, you can click and, and, and find out about different individuals and stuff like that. So tell us. Why'd you write the book and, and then start to share some of the stories and, uh, that you think will, okay. will help us get you some more uh, people interested in the book and, and, and sure. 
Maybe sell some copies. Well, there, there are two, yeah. two reasons for writing the book. There were two messages I wanted to get out. One of them was that when the buyout took place, that was the seminal event in the history of Winston-Salem. In many ways, Winston-Salem and certainly RJR, the buyout of RJR. That right. was really a big turning point for the city. And that event was covered in Barbarians at the Gate by the two guys at the Wall Street Journal. They wrote a great book and, on that. And this is H. Ross and KKR and all that's, that stuff. That's correct. This all happened in the fall of uh, 88, spring of 89. And this, so James Garner was in, I forget who played the yeah. other, right? But I mean, they. James Garner played Ross Johnson. And the literal, the two planes flying side by side on the phone was r really happening. A lot happened. of that, no. I, oh, I, I think that, it really happened. A so. lot of that stuff. I've forgotten right. the movie, but yeah. they hokied the movie up quite a bit okay. to, make it, to make it work. But that happened, and it was covered very well in, the, in that book. Uh, um, John Hillier and Brian Burra did a marvelous job, but they only covered about six weeks in the life of the company because that was the event. That was the bulk of what the book was about. There was some history there, but I realized that there was a much longer story, and my thought was what led up to that event? Right. It didn't happen overnight. That, that was a cataclysmic event, but what caused it? And I realized that the seeds of that problem went back years and years. So I wanted to write about that. And then there was a question, what happened after the company was bought? It mm -hmm. kind of went away and disappeared. And Reynolds Tobacco stayed here in Winston-Salem, but it was never the same. Right. And what happened to those companies years later? And there was a fantastic story about them, too. Right. So we had that. And as I got into it, I realized that a lot of people we're not going to understand anything about this because there was I didn't have any background on what was tobacco like, what right. did it mean. So I had to go back and create a history of tobacco in North Carolina, right. stressing the importance of what that gold leaf has meant to this state, not only Winston-Salem, but Durham, pretty much the whole state. Well, yeah, North Durham's Carolina. Duke, and then you got, yeah. uh, what, Greensboro with Brown and Williamson. Sure. Now, and right, um, is it true that the Haines sold their tobacco company to the Reynolds that to start RJR, yeah. and they used the money from that purchase to start the, to textile, start the textile company. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And similarly, James Duke, Buck Duke, right. took his tobacco money and started Duke Power. They right. tell me he made more money in electric power than he made in tobacco. Right. I don't know about that. Okay. It easily could have been the case. All and right. Yeah. Okay. A lot of wealth came out of the tobacco business All right. that left that. The other thing that prompted me to really sit down and start writing was a report that came from the London School of Economics in 2015. There were three researchers there who studied the most profitable businesses. What were the most profitable industries you could invest in in both Europe and in the UK and in America from 1900 to 2015? And not surprisingly, I guess, in Great Britain it turned out to be the liquor business. Right. Here it was tobacco. Okay. And there was nothing that even came close, as I point out in the book. Tobacco, unbelievably, if you invested $1 in tobacco stocks on January the 1st, 1900, at the end of 2015, it would have been $6.2 million. It compounded at 14.5% a year for 115 years. And that was pretty consistent with my experience and, and continuing experience in tobacco. So there was factors that made this just an unbelievably profitable industry. And I covered those in the book, too. So, so how far back do you go? I really start the company briefly with R.J. Reynolds starting it, and I, and I cover the history fairly quickly up to 1960. Okay. But then in 1960 is when the diversification started. Okay. And that's when we begin to add all these businesses to the tobacco business and what I contend is the downfall of the company. We all right, so adding Nabisco was not a good thing. Well, it certainly didn't turn out to be. Right. Adding Ross Johnson definitely wasn't a good right. thing for the company, as Correct. it turned out. All right, so when, um, so so we're in the 60s, and, um, you know, basically we've we've got our, our major brands of Camel, Winston-Salem, right. et cetera, and then, um, you know, you... You're, you're talking about what, what was our first what was Reynolds' first acquisition that started this the, chain reaction? Well, the first acquisition, which turned out to be a fairly favorable one, went back pre 
pre-60, and that was the Archer Aluminum Division. Right. Now, that was a, an integration backward to get, wrong, to get the supply of materials. That worked out very well, and, and Archer was never a major acquisition, but it was a fine, small acquisition, a bolt-on to the company, and it, it was well-conducted, well-run, and did well. And what did Archer do? It made the packages for all the cigarettes right. and so, other aluminum products as well. And so I, in, in growing up, I was at someone's house that invented that, um, that candy wrapper that went on the Salem's probably in the 90s or something like that that was, that was an aluminum type well, that, of... That came after I was there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I, and I'd met that he lived out in Shamrock Estates yeah, and he was responsible yeah. for that particular thing. So that's, so when you, when you unwrap like um, a candy bar or, or whatever, yeah. this, this material was part of the Reynolds family. Yeah, that okay. could have been. Yeah, and okay. Reynolds made packaging materials for outside customers right. too. A lot of food companies, their packages came from RJR, but it, Reynolds was a, called a packaging converter. Right. And that's, that's what it did. RJR and, and Archer did that. But that, that made sense. But then we began to move far afield. We started buying food companies, and the theme that they intended to have work was that cigarettes and food were both sold retail. It right. kind of made sense to put them together. It turned out there was no commonality there at all. Well, you're the, years C, later, you're the C store and you got the grab and goes when you're getting your packs. But, but, yeah. but basically, the two do not belong in the same business. The cultures are just completely different. But right. We bought food companies, then we ended up buying the shipping company. Right. That was uh, a really big mistake because right. we knew nothing about shipping. Oil? And then we bought two oil companies. Right. We owned those. Okay. And then we ended up buying Del Monte. Then we bought Hubline, which had Smirnoff Vodka and Kentucky Fried Chicken and a lot of things along the way. <laughs> then we finally added Nabisco. Not that I would know this, but of course Hubline created um, Brass Monkey and I did not partake in that when okay. I was in college. Didn't, yes. I didn't know that. Beastie Boys song, right. pre-mix, have no idea what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about. But you're, yeah, right. sounds familiar. Yeah. So, um, so, what was the? What do you think the first company was then that really concerned you the most as you in doing your research? Well, the first food company they bought was Pacific Hawaiian, and that worked right. out fairly well. With uh, uh, that would be uh, what uh, the Hawaiian Punch product line. Okay, that was fairly profitable. But we then started to buy little regional brands. We bought a brand of potato chips down in Atlanta, right. and there was no way to take it nationally, Okay, uh, make it a national brand. Right. And that's what we wanted to do, but we just weren't able to do it. So we had a number of those. Chun King Chinese foods. I remember that, yeah. Grossly overpaid for that company. Right. We probably paid two and a half times what that company was worth. All right. And this was a if you, when you read the book, I've got the numbers there, you can see we consistently overpaid for what we bought. Right. And I even, in working on the book, I actually had dinner in New York uh, just before the pandemic with the treasurer of Nabisco. Right. Who came here and worked for RJR for a while and was my boss briefly at Reynolds. Right. And he was laughing, we were both laughing about it. And he said, he was on the, he was on the selling side and he said, Essentially, we knew you were overpaying. I knew you were overpaying for right. us when you we, bought us. Yeah, right. Yeah. What are we going to do? Turn the money down? Right. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that was that was one of the experiences that we had, and then with with that, Ty Wilson was on the right track. He was the CEO at that point. Right. He had begun to realize that we needed to forge ahead with the initial plan that was set up to be a consumer goods company. Right. So. He spun off the shipping company. He right. sold off the oil companies. He got rid of those, and he sold Kentucky Fried Chicken. That so, went to Yum Brands. Yeah, it went to Yum right. Brands, and that was a PepsiCo deal. Right. And then he pulled this really great deal in coming up with Nabisco, which, of course, had a, an array of brands that was unbelievable. I think nine out of the top ten selling cookies and crackers in America. Were now, Nabisco planners? Was planners part of that? Planners too? was folded was part of into Nabisco? that. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, that was a part of it. I'm right. not sure how that came in. We got Planners Lifesavers. Right. They may have come in separately, but I think they were part of Nabisco. But in the end, we had this thing, and then Ty had embarked on this project to make a smokeless cigarette. Right. And that sadly was his undoing because Eclipse. he he. He uh, it was. I don't know that it had a. Was that the name? That was the. They the, didn't the, actually come up. That with a name was the. For it. Uh, carton with yeah. the white on it 
Okay. All wrapped in white Eclipse. I was gone by, yeah. by that time. Well, we were selling at yeah, that point with KNS News, so sure. that was, yeah. Well, the, the product had its challenges, and but the thing was, he really needed to keep it secret. Right. But the mistake politically was that he didn't tell the board about what he was doing, right. and they greatly resented it. Ross, being a consummate politician, right. knew how to play this game, and right. he turned that bit of ill will at the board level against uh, against Ty, and uh, Ty had to leave, and Ross took over. Well, it's like they say in, in, in county government, you know, when I was on town council in Louisville, it takes a majority to hire the town manager, but it only takes one, one to, to fire him because yeah. everyone gets sick of hearing their voice and says, let's just move on to the next person. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what happened yeah. here. Let's show your website to, to everybody, okay. and then we'll come back and finish up talking about that. All right. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, John McPherson here with Camel City Chat, and I'm here with my guest, Gene Hoots, who is a friend of mine for how many years, did you say? Yeah, I say 43 years. Well, you can do math, so remember, well, I, I, don't, I don't do years. math. So, so 43 years. Um, so, Gene, we were talking about, I mean, obviously, you can watch the movie, you can read, as you said, a, a great book, uh, Barbarians at the Gate. Um, you know, that, that's a six-week, you know, just snapshot of it. Mm -hmm. um, what else happened that, you know, someone may not know? Or well, the major thing was what happened afterwards. Uh, yeah, that's, and, that'd be great to hear about. I compared Reynolds to the Roman Empire through okay. the book. I used that parallel. All right. Reynolds started out small. It built an empire, uh, reached its uh, peak uh, in about 1960, mm -hmm. and then began to spread out like the Roman Empire did and into other parts of Europe uh, where there were barbarians. Mm -hmm. and actually invited those barbarians in eventually. Right, the barbarians at the gate. Yeah, they invited right, them yeah. in. And then Reynolds was taken over by the barbarians. It crashed and then went through a, a period I call the Dark Ages. Right. And that was about 10 years when KKR owned the company. And the problem was that KKR had borrowed way too much money to finance the company. Right. They had started out with almost $30 billion of debt. Interest, unbelievably, ran about $10 million a day. Right. And there was just not enough money generated to pay that down. So they had to sell off assets, and they never could make the thing viable economically. So the three major companies that were there floundered around in what I call the Dark Ages for 10 years. And then a guy named Steve Goldstone, who was a, with the law firm, Davis Polk Wardwell, who was Reynolds' attorneys, he came in as the CEO. Seemed a strange choice for an attorney to run a cigarette company. Right. But he was the perfect guy for the time. I never got to meet him, but mm -hmm. he did a great job. Right. He brought the tobacco industry, the tobacco companies, the realization that they had to strike a deal, which was the master settlement agreement, and right. settle these lawsuits. He got that done, and then he split the three companies apart. He sold Nabisco to Philip Morris Craft Division. Right. And it's done very well since, I think, over that period of time. Right. Reynolds here in town became Reynolds American. It rolled right along and made fabulous profits for the right. people that bought the new stock at R.J. Reynolds. Even right. better in many ways than the original stockholders in Reynolds did over okay. that period of time. Then it was bought by its parent, British American, just in the last couple of three Who years. Who also then came and bought... Lowellard. Well, we put, we meaning Reynolds, put right. that together. Lowellard, Brown and Williamson, and Reynolds became one major competitor, the other one being only Philip Morris. Right. So now you had two major cigarette companies. Right. The three of them together were a viable competitor. If they had not combined, Philip Morris would have picked them off one by now, one. Now, did Commonwealth spin off of that, or Commonwealth went into that and then? I don't know. That okay. Name. Yeah, okay. Because I, you know, I have friends that have worked in that, and of course, uh, we used to sell a, a Santa Fe. Natural yeah, cigarette sure. that Reynolds bought. Yeah. And, you know, I have a client that is, you know, they call her queen of the uh, vape, so she works in the vape okay. division. All right. Um, but uh, um, so they have all, all so right now we have uh, um, British BAT owns here. Yeah. And, um, and then what else does BAT own? Well, worldwide, they're huge. Yeah. They, then Philip Morris are, I guess, probably the dominant tobacco companies worldwide. Okay. They're British American started in London, of course. Right. And they've been powerhouse all over the world. And now they've become a real strong competitor here. Mm -hmm. Much more so than they were with just British American or, or Brown and Williamson. Yeah. But the amazing story was what not only what happened to Reynolds domestic, but the international business. Reynolds from day one, the guys that ran Reynolds were from right here, 
They liked being here. They didn't feel comfortable or didn't want to go abroad, and Philip Morris did. So Philip Morris seized the international market from RJR early on. Mm -hmm. And so the company rentals started way behind the eight ball on that. But once Goldstone split up the company in 99, he sold off all the international operations to Japan Tobacco. Right. And what was Reynolds International then became Japan Tobacco International. Most people don't know that story, but I got to know a lot of those people there, and many of them became my clients in investments. Right. And then when I say there, I'm talking about Geneva. They were right. headquartered in Geneva. I made a lot of trips to Geneva. I was right. there three or four times a year for right. years. And they took that company, and, and the Japanese gave them the capital. They gave them the support in marketing. They nurtured it. Yeah. They did, and they took that thing to the moon. It right. started out making uh, about $400 million was its pre-tax profit when the Japanese bought it. They paid, what was it they paid? Uh, I think they paid They paid $8 billion for it. They paid, right. paid 40 times earnings right. for it or thereabouts. It was just an, now, did they have agreements for the brands? Were yeah, they okay? Yeah, they so they were, were able they to manufacture Camel. Yeah, they were. Over there. They had all the brands. They right. got all the. They got all the rights to all those brands everywhere, right. but in the United States. Right. So they had all that, but they never had the capital or the marketing muscle to do anything with it. Now they did. Right. And they took that thing from 400 million in profit in 1999. In 2017, the profit uh, adjusted for con currency conversions was probably around seven billion. They took it. They took it up. Uh, what would that be? I can't do the math, but it was 15 times the profit. I, think, I mean, I might like take me. I might take a, you know one percent of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm well, okay they, with that. They did a great job, and that's yeah. generally unknown here because none of it happened in America. And a lot of people don't realize that that you you sell your um, brand to another company to yeah. produce overseas yeah. so that you get that exposure. Yeah, there was a lot of funny things that happened yeah. there. I, l I learned that uh, that. Um, Winston cigarette, we could we had the right. R.J. Reynolds had the right to Winston, everywhere but in the United Kingdom. Right. Maybe it had something to do with Winston, Winston Churchill. Churchill. We right. Were yeah. Never sure, but right. they we could not sell Winston cigarettes. I, I would in have the assumed Great that. At that right. Time. Yeah. That was funny. I, later, it was okay, but that right. was early on. That was one of those quirks. And and you know it, it's so interesting to me being a a, a rental. You know I had Philip Morris reps, I had Brandon Williamson, uh, you know Lowell Art, etc. But I was obviously in Winston and, and mm -hmm. supported. When uh, R.J. Reynolds, uh, it's interesting now to see what their brand makeup is because it's like, no, 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 that was your competitor. You can't yeah. be making those now. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, but it, it's all worked out. And um, do you? Uh, how, how is? What, what are your thoughts on the company now that you've written the book and everything? Are, are they moving in the right direction? I don't know much about Reynolds specifically, but right. I've talked to a, a group of people. There's been a whole group of folks that I've never had an opportunity to meet before, so I've made a lot of new friends right. on email. Right. And they've read the book. Most of them are young security analysts okay. who are still interested in investing in tobacco. Right. And they want to know what I think. Well, I think I don't know the first thing about where it's going. Right. But I, I did draw this conclusion. I said, look, the, the use, the desire for nicotine has been around since about 1550. Right. It's not going away. Right. And I think it would be a mistake to bet that that won't be sold in some form around the world for a long time. I'm, I'm not a supporter and I was never an apologist for tobacco in right. the book. I really would think people would be better off if they didn't use it, but they're going to use it. It's a product that's out there. It's a legal product and I would expect there to be a market for it consistently for several more decades anyway. I will tell you, as, as you know, we sold them and um, my, my feeling was always if there was a way that all my friends could keep their jobs and not do that, then you know, um, yeah. uh, I, I would be happy. But you know, they, the 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 one thing was that they they always had the uh, the other side, the other industries with Nabisco and planners mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, you know, talking about coming back to Winston and and you know, uh, what as you drive around, uh, you know, I, I always tell the story about you know there were two you drop we knocked newspapers off at at, uh, at what is it uh, um, the uh, Reynolds Tower, we dropped newspapers yeah. off, and the other was at the Rainbow News, and that was all mm -hmm. places that anybody went on I downtown. What do, you, what do you think of where Winston has come in the time that you've been uh, coming back? Well, I was very worried when I left here because Reynolds was gone, then Wells Fargo, Wachovia, lots and lots now of Now BB&T pulling up. BB&T left, a couple of the trucking companies went broke, uh, were sold out. 
and it looked like the city was going to really have a struggle. But I just think that a lot of good things have happened. When I come around now and see the city I'm here, and particularly the, uh, the, the renaissance that's taken place down behind the Reynolds building down right. there with the tech center. Right. I think this is all great stuff. And, mm -hmm. and um, I'm very optimistic about the, the future. I understand I haven't been here downtown at night, but I understand on 4th Street, there are restaurants and cafes and bars open. In oh, the yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we have pedestrian walkways over uh, Salem Parkway because, okay. you know, it's not 421 anymore. It's Salem yeah, Parkway. Okay. Yeah, and, 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 there's a big, and lit up. Big complex going in at uh, 4th and Spruce Street there. Yeah. A friend of mine, Clay Grubb, the real estate developer right. in Charlotte, is doing that. Okay. He's very active in a lot of North Carolina markets, and I think he'll be good for this city in that. Now, the ironic thing is that uh, after all these years, if 4th Street is open and people are walking up and down, that's exactly like 4th Street was in 1945. I lived at first in Spruce in the Wachovia Apartments, a big brick building in the corner, still there. First in Spruce, and okay. All right. My mother, my dad worked night shift. Okay. And so my mother and I would walk up Spruce Street from 1st Street, three blocks up to 4th. Right. There were two movie theaters there, right. Scythe, and then where, where the uh, Stevens Center is now where right. was the, the Carolina Theater. Right. We'd go to the movie, right. and it was perfectly safe for a young mother and a, and a six-year-old kid to be walking up and down 4th Street. Stores right. were open. People right. were in there shopping. Right. So we've come full cycle in, in 75 years. Well, you need to go back to, uh, we need to get you in over at the, the Sir Winston Loft and um, the Indigo there, which yeah. was the old Pepper building. Yeah, I know the building. I yeah. haven't been into any of that we, stuff. We need to do a tour, man. All right. Yeah, so, all right, so uh, uh, you, you got some, I think we got a couple minutes left. So you've got this oh. Montana stuff on. What's going on with you in Montana? Well, I've developed a love for Montana over right. the years. Who I, wouldn't? Yeah, I always <laughs> I mean, want, the truth is I always want to be a cowboy. Right. <laughs> and after my wife died, I had a client, uh, a lady, a young lady who uh, we had known from here in Winston-Salem, but she lived in Charlotte. And she came to see me one day for a, a review. She was a client, and mm -hmm. I'd known her here. And she said, Gene, I always wanted to go on a cattle drive. Right. I said, you know, Grace, her name was Grace Kennedy. Her, her late father-in-law was my first boss at Reynolds. Right. I said, Grace, you know, you're 45 years old. She said, I'm going to go when I'm 50. And I said, you're 45. I may not live till you're 50. So if we're going to go on a cattle drive, this better be this year. Right. So she goes on and finds a website. And a group of us go out there, and she's been back a time or so, brought her whole family later. But I've gone back almost every year. That was right. 2006 or seven, And they've become like family to me. I called the lady that owns the ranch, she and her right. husband. I talked to her yesterday and told right. her I'd be back in August this year. Right. Missed because of the pandemic. Right. Virtually every year. And I love it. You go out and you work on a ranch and right. help them do what they do, driving right. cattle from one pasture to another. And you get to be a real cowboy or a real cowgirl. That's awesome. And uh, I'm I'm inviting anybody to go with me. So they gave me. I was there two years ago on my 80th birthday. Right. And they gave me this vest as a gift, and it's right. got the Battle Creek Ranch logo on. Right. And I told her yesterday I have worn this vest every day during the pandemic. I would wear it right now uh, if I had it. it is and, uh, it's it's a little chilly out here. It's, it's perfect. It's great. It? And so they've gotten a lot of publicity out of this birthday gift that they gave me. Perfect. But they're wonderful people, and and uh, I look forward to seeing them all again. And that's the Battle Creek Ranch. Yeah. In it's Montana. about an hour or so north of Bozeman. Okay. It's the middle of nowhere. They've got sixteen thousand acres. Right. Nearest house is about five miles away. Well, I was supposed to go and fly in in April into. Uh, Missoula to do yeah. some fly fishing and okay. I'm gonna put it off one more year. Oh, are you? You yeah. should go. Don't well, put that you know, I got a wife and kid and yeah. I, I got to be careful, of, okay. you know, if I got anything because I haven't gotten the shot yet. All right. All right. Okay. So, yeah, I'm not that that old yet. Yeah, I know. You're um, before we go, the the worst question I asked, but I, 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 I think I already know the answer and that's, you know, Gene, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, what, you know, what 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 have you done that, that you want people to Gee. always remember? Well, I'd like for people, if, if any one thing would be, I'd like to be remembered as a friend. I've Absolutely. tried my best to reach out to as many people as possible. I told somebody the other day, uh, it's just important to reach out and maintain contacts. I had dinner last night, and I'm going to have dinner again tonight with a guy over in, in Advance area. We've been friends now for since we were seven years old, so that would be 75 years okay. that we've been friends. And I've built a lot of other friendships along the way. Those are really important. I've got a couple hundred people I call each year and wish them a happy birthday. 
you're one of those people. I know. I was, I was going to say, you know, yeah. we, we have a little bit of an age difference, and I was, you know, hung around more with your kids than you. Yeah. But I, I think you know, uh, I know I know, that if I ever needed anything, you're the one of the people yeah. I'd call. And I, I know that if I'm in Charlotte I, and I needed a place to stay, your yeah. door would be open because you're a great man. And, and I'm making yeah. new friends every day because of the book. There are people yeah. who have written me emails and said, I read your book. Let me tell you this or that. I actually got two of these were very, very surprising. One was a guy whose father had worked at Reynolds. I knew his father, who he was, and he is a retired physician at Duke. Uh -huh. And he wanted to know. He grew up in Winston-Salem. He introduced himself by email, and I have since talked to him on the phone. And I told him, you didn't really need any introduction. You have no way of knowing this, but your mother was my first school teacher, and she left the mid-year to wow. have you. And so I remember Holy that. And, and uh, so I said that was that was 1945, and uh, I knew your I knew your mom before you knew your mom. So what is it they say? Winston Salem is the smallest big yeah. city in the world. Yeah. And uh, and then there was another lady. Uh, I got in contact with her. I didn't even know she existed, but she lives in in uh, out in the middle of New York State. She married a guy who was she was from here. She married a guy who went to Wake. They went back north, and he. He and his father built the largest car auction house in the state of New York. Wow. I chatted with her, and it turned out that she's from, her family is from the country over in Yadkin County. Right. And her, she had no way of knowing this, but I said, you know, I remember her father, Paul, uh, said you had an uncle named Roy, and he married my mother's sister. I said, your, your uncle married my aunt. We'd never met or heard of each other. She's invited me to come up and visit with them in New York, and I'll probably go up and see them. This That's summer. amazing. So That's amazing. You, you make a lot of contacts, and, and I'd like to be known for having a lot of friendships. Well, and I, I think you've already succeeded as much in as that. anything so, else. Um, what I will say is, is, and I don't know if you remember this, uh, have you ever heard of Smitty's Notes? All right, so Smitty's Notes is something that started many years ago by Jeff Smith. And uh, Jeff was uh, at Womble Carlisle, I think was where he was working, and he wanted to get out to everybody what was happening. Um, or no, maybe he was working at, uh, over in Greensboro, uh, one of the places over there. I, I don't remember where he worked, but he started this, this email list mm -hmm. of where, um, where you could go to find out what's going on that this weekend. That sounds vaguely yeah. familiar. Well, he's yeah. a sponsor yeah. of our show, so I want to okay. say thanks to Smitty's Notes and ask people to check them out uh, and, and go to smittysnotes.com. But uh, we're going to put links for your website, information on how to get the book. Okay. And, uh, and you actually have done several different podcasts yeah. with the New Canaan Society and other things. We're going to put those in and, and tag you back to that stuff. But I just want to ask everybody to, uh, if you like this, please like it, subscribe, um, click the alert button. And uh, please make some comments and thank my, my friend, uh, Gene Hoots, for spending some time with us today and letting us learn more about Winston-Salem and also R.J. Reynolds Tobacco. And... Um, He's a great investor. Uh, I know that much. You've, you've made me some money, so I thank you for that. Thank you letting, for letting me come back home and yep. talk with you. It brings back a lot of great memories. And yep. Winston-Salem and th this area will always be my home, no matter where I hang my hat. Well, I appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, we'll be back next time with more thank Camel you. City Chat. Thank you.